Hello there. I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as we prepare to have conversation as far as this Thursday's teaching is concerned. Thank you all for joining us on our various platforms, and we are certainly delighted and elated that you are able to join us as far as our Bible study is concerned. Um, thank you for all for joining us, not only all over uh, the city, but also all over the country as well. And we do not take your time for granted as far as you uh, joining us as far as Bible study is concerned. Today, I'm very excited about uh, this lesson uh, as we continue to delve into Second Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 16 through verse 21. And this is a very interesting and deep passage in the sense that um, Peter is continuing to talk about the word of God being Jesus and the word of God as far as the Bible is concerned and how he uh, correlates and corroborates both uh, the living word and the written word that ought to empower us to be what God will have for us to be. So what I want to do uh, for the time that is mine, let's have a word of prayer and then we will... Uh, go through and mark up uh, our uh, text for today. And then uh, let's sense and seek what the Lord will want to reveal as far as our time together is concerned. Let's bow our heads for prayer. God, we come and we thank you for this auspicious occasion to study your word and to learn more of thee. And Lord, we pray right now that you, by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit, will illuminate our hearts and our minds to understand and appreciate what you desire for us to know and then give us the ability to apply it to our lives so we can be more like your son, Jesus. Show yourself mighty and strong, O oh God, and we will bless your name for that. You, the master teacher, show up and let the Holy Spirit bring to our uh, remembrance, to our minds, to our spirits, the things you desire for us to know. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, Second Peter, uh, chapter one, starting at verse 16. Uh, this is a very rich, rich passage. And uh, let's do some underlining work as far as this time is concerned. And then let's sense and seek what the Lord will have for us to know and to grow. Verse 16, for we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For we receive from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And we heard the voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Amen. So let's go ahead and let's mark this up because I believe that um, as we mark this up, this is going to be some rich, rich uh, 
information that we'll be able to pull. Verse 16, for we did not follow cunningly devised fables. If you would underline that phrase, cunningly devised fable. When we were made known to you the power and coming. And if you would underline the phrase, the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But were eyewitnesses of his majesty. If you would um, highlight the phrase, eyewitnesses of his majesty. Verse 17, for he received from God the Father honor and glory. Such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. If you would circle the word um, uh, voice and then circle the phrase excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. If you would highlight that phrase. Verse 18, and we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. If you would circle the phrase voice, I mean the word voice, and then in verse 18, draw a line from voice in verse 18 to voice in verse 17. So we have the prophetic word confirmed. If you would highlight the phrase uh, prophetic word and then circle confirm which you do well to heed as a light that shines in the dark place, underline the phrase, a light that shines in the dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. If you were circle the phrase morning star. Verse 20, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. If you would underline the phrase, no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. And then circle the word prophecy. Then verse 21. For prophecy never came by the will of man. If you would underline the phrase never came by the will of man. And then circle the word prophecy. Draw a line from the word prophecy in verse 20 to prophecy in verse 21. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the spirit. If you would highlight the phrase holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the spirit. Amen. All right. So my brothers and sisters, uh, for those that are, are joining us, this is going to be uh, rich because the first thing that I want to share with you all is that as we prepare to have this conversation, we must make a distinction between the written word of God and the incarnate word of God. The written word of God, Rhema, R-H-E-M-A, and the incarnate word of God, Lagos, who is Jesus Christ, L-O-G-O-S. Spoken or written word versus uh, Lagos, Jesus being the word of God. Now, here's what I want to drop on you that both the written word of God and the spoken, the written and spoken word of God and Jesus, the incarnate word of God, both are major avenues to the revelation of who God is. Okay. Both are major avenues to the revelation of who God is. The written word, the Bible, the incarnated word, Jesus Christ, are both revelations of who God 
is. Okay. And the way that Peter deals with this is he brings it with clarity and precision as far as these particular passages of scripture that we're dealing with right now. Now, Peter wanted uh, the reader to know, and he wants us to know, that they did not invent these fables that folks will try to say that the Bible is. He is trying to let the reader know that he, as well as the other apostles, did not devise myths and did not teach them as stories because that's what false teachers do. And so here is Peter defending the gospel against the accusation of false teachers that the incarnation, the resurrection, and the second coming of Jesus Christ were myths. And unfortunately, we have that same type of thinking that is taking place in today's culture right now, that there are people who consider the incarnation, the resurrection, and even the second coming of Jesus Christ to be nothing but myths, falsities, made up stories. But Peter is letting him, letting the reader know and letting us know that he is an eyewitness. He saw Jesus in his glory. He saw Jesus in his agony. He saw Jesus as far as his resurrection is concerned. And he reminds them that Jesus Christ one day shall return. Now, you know, I tell people because folks try to figure out when is Jesus coming back? Uh, when is all of this going to culminate? And I never will forget something that my mentor, the late Reverend Dr. Samuel DeWitt Proctor once said. And I say it over and over again, and I will even repeat it right now. If you do what Jesus told you to do in the first coming, the second coming will take care of itself. Don't worry about trying to figure out when Jesus is going to come. Do the things that Jesus told us to do when he was here on earth and everything else will take care of itself. But here is Peter really talking about he was an eyewitness of his majesty. And he says, not only was he, but also other apostles. All right. Also other apostles. So he is already letting them know that he has seen Jesus in his glory. Now, where did he see Jesus in his majesty? Where did he see Jesus in his glory? Verse 17 is going to highlight that. But let me, if I could, give this to you for free, that he saw Jesus in his majesty, in his glory, on what is called the Mount of Transfiguration. Okay? The Mount of Transfiguration. And if you um, want to know where that is located at, you can read Matthew chapter 17, uh, verses 1 through 8. You can read Mark chapter 2, verse 9, uh, verse uh, 2, verse Mark chapter 9, verse 2 through 8, and Luke chapter 9, verse 28 through, through 36. It talks about how Jesus was on the Mount Transfiguration, which many uh, biblical scholars believe was probably Mount Hermon. And 
on top of that mountain, uh, Peter, James, and John were with Jesus. And they saw him being transformed into splendor and into glory. And Peter, James, and John really got a foretaste of what Christ would be like as far as his glory and as far as eternity is concerned. Uh, so they saw up close and personal. And if you remember that story, remember that when he was seen in his glory, the Bible talks about how Moses and Elijah appeared beside Jesus. And I contend that Moses and Elijah appearing beside Jesus is really symbolic of the law and the prophets being beside Jesus. And Jesus is really a fulfillment, a physical, tangible fulfillment of the law and the prophets. So it's interesting to note that you have Moses and Elijah being beside Jesus. Peter saw this and Peter, remember, wanted to build three altars, one to Jesus, one to Elijah, and one to Moses. And then uh, after that light knocked them down on their knees, uh, they woke back, they came back to their senses and they only saw Jesus. But they heard the voice of God saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. All right. So they saw Jesus. They call it a glimpse. I like to call it a foretaste of glory divine. They, they saw Jesus in his majesty here on earth, here on earth. And, 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 and let me tell you something else. They also saw Jesus demonstrate his majesty and his power through the various miracles that he worked. So remember, they're saying they were eyewitnesses of his majesty. It is interesting to note, I want to contend, that his majesty is also not only connected to the transfiguration, but his majesty is also connected to the miracles that he worked, to the powers that he displayed. And you all know how powerful Jesus is. You all remember reading in your Bible how he was able to calm a storm on the sea, said, peace be still, and the waters laid down like children going to bed, the thunder stopped roaring and the lightning stopped zigzagging against uh, the black sky. You remember reading about how he walked on water. Um, you remember reading about how he raised people from the dead. He gave sight to the blind. Uh, Jesus did all of that. That's part of his glory. That's part of his power. That's part of who Jesus is. But let me also let you know what's going to happen when he returns. What's going to happen when he comes back? That he will raise those who have died in him. That he's going to bring judgment. That he's going to destroy the lawless one and the demons that accompany him. And he's going to usher in the very essence of what the kingdom of God is really all about. Okay, so notice what Peter does. Peter affirms the fact that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament writings of the prophet. And he puts himself along with James and John and the other apostles that they proclaim God's truth. Now, here is where I really want to 
drill home right now about the written word of God. The Bible, my brothers and sisters, is not a collection of stories or human ideas about God. It is not a collection of myths. It is not a collection of stories. It is not a collection of philosophies about who God is. It is God's words given to people through people. All right, let me say that again. It's God's words given to people through people. That when you look at the Holy Word of God, that about 40 authors wrote various segments of the Word of God. Now, I'm going to give you my bias right now. I'm going to give you my bias right now. Uh, as your pastor and as the pastor of the St. Paul Church, I have a high view of Scripture. Some preachers and some theologians do not have a high view of Scripture. Um, they look at it as literature. They look at it um, through uh, redaction criticism and things of that sort. But as your pastor, I have a high view of scripture. In other words, I take the Bible seriously. There are some theologians, um, uh, a, a lot of um, in this postmodern age that do not have a high view of scripture. Uh, they look at the Bible as something to deconstruct and, and compartmentalize, but they do not necessarily have a high view of scripture. I believe that the word of God is the inspired word of God that is to help us to deal with false teaching that will come our way. So that's that's me. And, and that's why I take preaching and teaching seriously, because whenever you look at scripture and you deal with scripture, you always got to take it within the context in which it is written, who wrote it, why they wrote it, in order to build the theological bridge from then to now. And so if you're going to properly appropriate the word of God, you got to properly understand the word of God. And, and, and unfortunately, we live in a time where people really don't want to deal with doctrine. They don't want to deal with beliefs, but your beliefs really inform your behavior. And so this is why I take doctrinal preaching very seriously. Um, um, uh, I, I, I take it very, very seriously because people need to understand why they believe what they believe. Okay. All right. Um, let me, if I could, continue to press forward as far as um, this text is concerned. So notice in verse 17, Peter further writes, for he received from God the Father honor and glory, honor and glory. Now watch this, honor and glory. And this is, this is really so, so wonderfully rich, honor and glory. Um, when we look at the word honor and glory, um, we're, we're talking about doxa. We're talking about uh, the very essence of what makes God who God is. And it came to Jesus from 
the excellent glory of God. And God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Now notice this lofty, beautiful language that, that Peter lifts up stems from the fact that he wants to convey to the reader the true majesty of who Jesus Christ is and how he had the unique privilege of being present the very moment that he heard the voice of God saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm what? Well pleased. All right. The only way that Peter could have written this with such power and such force is that he had to be an eyewitness to it. Now, let's talk about these words, honor and glory. Honor, Jesus's exalted status as conveyed by God the Father. In other words, it is God's public announcement of the sonship of Jesus, okay? It is God saying, this is my boy, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Glory refers to Jesus shining moral splendor as light radiates from his personhood. As a matter of fact, when you read on about the Mount Transfiguration experience, you would talk, it would talk about how he was clothed in a white robe that was so bright, so shiny, it shined brighter than the sun. That is his glory. And I want to suggest that the very glory of God is brighter than a million suns, that, that, that the very essence of who we are uh, in our fallen state cannot dwell in the very presence of God when he is uh, 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 demonstrating his full glory, unless, unless we have been prepped and prepared to uh, experience uh, such a moment. Then notice they said, and we heard a voice. We heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on what? The holy mountain. Now, let's 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 talk about why Jesus had to show glory on the Mount Transfiguration, why God the Father honored him on the Mount Transfiguration, because on earth, Jesus didn't have much glory. On earth, he appeared as a feeble human being, a poor carpenter from Nazareth, a ghetto itinerant preacher. Uh, uh, Jesus even said, look, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus didn't even have a stationary home to chill out. But at transfiguration, his real identity comes forth with such glorious radiance uh, that he had before he ever showed up on earth. And this is how he's going to return one day in his glory. Okay. Now, I, I want to say something because I think that oftentimes we can become so jaded by the name of Jesus. God honors Jesus at Mount Hermon, and so should everyone else. But if you notice in today's culture, 
uh, we profane the name of Jesus. It's so commonly dismissed. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you watch television, they use it almost like a cuss word. Am I right about it? You know, somebody stepped into, oh, Jesus Christ. They, they're not, <laughs> you know, uh, giving God glory through that. Or, 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 or if someone is uh, angry at somebody, they go off in a profanity tirade and they throw Jesus's name in it. The name of Jesus is for high honor. The name of Jesus is for joyful praise. Remember, Paul writes that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. Why? Because God has what highly exalted this name. Okay. So it's, it's not something that should be cavalierly thrown around. Um, we should have uh, such a respect and such an honor uh, for that name. So as we continue to move through verse 18, uh, when we talk about, and we heard this voice, um, Peter is referring to Peter, James, and John. Uh, they heard the voice of God. All three of them heard the voice of God. And as they engage in that transfiguration moment, uh, it really had a major impact upon the personhood of Peter. Peter knew what Jesus is going to look like in eternal splendor. G uh, Peter had a glimpse of what Jesus would look like in his eternal glory. He, he, he caught a glimpse of it. He called it what foretaste of glory divine. Can, can you imagine what it would be like to catch a sneak peek or a sneak preview of who God through Christ will look like and how he will work out the very essence of who he is when he returns in full splendor and glory. Now, again, we have some people who say that ain't nothing but a fable. That ain't nothing but a myth. But this is what we got to understand, especially for those who try to predict when Jesus is going to come back. No man, no woman knows the day and all the hour. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of people try to use the book of Revelation uh, to predict when Jesus is going to come back. And if you listen to prognosticators, they would say we've been in the last days or Jesus was going to come back. Uh, every period of some type of catastrophic situation of history that happened ever since Jesus died, there were those predictors who were saying he's on his way back. Guess what? Nobody knows. Live your life the way that Jesus told you to live it in the first coming and the second coming will take care of itself. Nobody knows. There are those who even say right now, we're living in the last days. We have wars and rumors of war. But guess what? That's been going on ever since. You know, uh, that's been going on ever since. You've been having nations rising up against nations. But here's what I do know. That a thousand years are like a day in the sight of God. That Kairos or God's timing is a whole lot different than our chronos or calendar timing. So I'm going to leave it up to God to decide when God wants to move as far as that's concerned. And I'm going to try to do the very thing that God will have for me to do. And you ought to do the very thing that God will have for you to do.
and let that take care of itself. That while I look forward with great anticipation one day for him to return, if I get stuck on looking up, I never look out and do the work that he would have for me to do. If I get stuck on trying to figure out when he's going to crack over the sky, then I'll never look out to see those that are hurting and need to uh, need the work of the ministry that God has assigned uh, my hands and my heart. And so I let God be God and I'm going to be his preacher and his son and you be his daughter and 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 his, his, his child. And we let God take care of the things of God. Amen. Amen. So let me let me press on because this this really drills down as far as um, the meaning of the word of God. So notice what it says in verse 19. So we have heard the prophetic word confirmed. So we have the prophetic word confirmed. That is when they saw Jesus in his glory, words of prophecy started coming to them, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. As Peter writes about what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration, he's reminded of another form of God's word, the written word, the prophetic word, the law. In other words, the Old Testament. In fact, God's voice on the mountain made the words of the prophet more certain because the transfiguration pictured the fulfillment of their words. So both the prophets and the transfiguration pointed to Jesus's kingdom here on earth. As Peter reflects on the assurances of Christ returning one day and what he and the other prophets had, what he and the other apostles had experienced, what they had seen, what they had heard, he is reminded that the word of God is sure. He added the prophets to the mixture of the evidence to show the error of the false teachers that will come their way to say, this ain't going to happen. What God said on the mountain made the word of the prophets even more sure. Okay. So this is basically what I'm saying. The Old Testament scriptures were not set aside by Jesus. Okay. Let, let me say it again. Jesus did not come to do away with the Old Testament scripture. He came to what? Fulfill it. That's what he meant when he said in Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I've come to abolish or destroy the law or prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but what? To fulfill them. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. This is where it gets real good. The reason that Jesus is able to fulfill the law and the prophets is because Jesus is the only sinless person to ever walk the earth. And Jesus knew how to live the law and the prophets in such a way that everything that God wanted him to do, he did it. You got to understand that the law was given to be a tutor to show us our sins. Jesus lives the law in such a way that he did not sin. Now, let me, let me give this to you for free. Because what we got to understand is that in order to live the law in such a way 
that he did not sin. And this is where I mess up some people. Because he was human, he had to have the capacity to sin. What is meant by that? That means he had to have the capacity to choose whether or not he was going to do the will of the father. All right. And every time you see Jesus run up against something that gives that fork in the road, Jesus always, always, always chose to do the will of God, the father. Okay. He always chose to do the will of God, the father. So, so this is why this is why the Bible is so important. This is why the Bible is so important. The Bible is so important because the Bible gives us the truths of God and the truths about God when properly interpreted that starts helping us to become more like Jesus. Okay? And, and this is why Peter strongly advises us as believers to keep hold of the scriptures without veering from the truth. Pay attention to the scriptures because they are what? A light shining in a dark place. You remember the writing of the Psalms? I believe it's, I want to say, uh, uh, Psalm, uh, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. Uh, I believe that's one in the 19th Psalm. Uh, this, this light illuminates the dark place, the world, the culture in its darkness or the mind in its ignorance, or it, it illuminates you so you won't fall prey to heretical teaching or false doctrine. I, I want to dare say that the part of the problem in today's culture is that folks don't know what they believe. And I want to say that the internet got a whole lot of bad information when it comes to the word of God, because you have people who have now put, who have put stuff on the internet that does not square with scripture. And so the reason why we got so many people who fall away when somebody drops something that sounds good to them is because their ears are more bent toward being tickled rather than them being conformed to the image and likeness of, of, of God through Jesus Christ. So this is why it's so important for a person to be part of a Bible teaching, Bible believing, Bible practicing church that really interprets scripture in the proper way and not try to make scripture fit their cultural idiosyncrasies. Okay. Now, let's 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 look at this because in his exhortation, Peter wants us to understand that we got to pay attention to the written word and the revealed word of God. Now watch this. Because when we look at the word of God, uh, several things happen. Number one, Peter is writing for the purpose of illumination in verse 19, revelation in verse 20, and inspiration in verse 21. All right, 
illumination in verse 19. We see that. So we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a what? Light that shines in the dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. What's that morning star? Jesus Christ. He's considered to be the what? Bright and morning star. Numbers tells us that a star will come out of Jacob. That's considered to be the prophecy of the Messiah. Um, uh, he is considered to be the bearer of light. He is considered to be what? The light of the world. All right. So we have the light that shines in darkness, which is the written word of God to illuminate our hearts. Uh, but we also have Jesus Christ as being the light of the world, the morning star, who is the revealed word of God. All right. So until that day when Jesus returns and dispels all darkness, you and I, as born again believers, have the word of God and the Holy Spirit to highlight or illuminate the word of God as we seek the truth of God. And let me drop this on you for free. That when Christ is completely revealed in his glory and his splendor, then there will be no need for scripture. Let me say that again. When Christ is revealed in his glory and his splendor, there's no need for scripture. Let me say that one more time for the Holy Ghost. When Christ is truly revealed in his glory and his splendor, there will be no need for scripture. All previous doubts will be washed away. All misunderstandings will be cleared. There will be this major recognition of who Jesus Christ is when he returns and reveals to us the very essence of who he is. So elimination in verse 19, revelation in verse 20. And, and look at how this revelation goes. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. Uh-oh. 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 Did y'all do, do y'all see that? I'm 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 not making this up. I'm not making this up. Let's look at that. That no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. Um th this this is dealing with now revelation. Um your belief about the revelation of God through scripture is key to your faith. This, this is why you got to understand the Bible. This is why you got to read the Bible. This, this is why you got to appreciate what scripture is or your faith is going to fall short. Okay. Peter is trying to help the early believers understand that the false teachers were going to deny scripture by saying that it was not inspired by God, that these were writers interpreting certain things, but it's not God's word. Now, think about the writings of Paul 
when he writes to his son, Timothy, when he says that what all scripture is given by God for instruction, for correction, for rebuke, da, 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 da. Now, when, 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 when Paul writes all scripture, when Peter writes prophecy of scripture, let's, let's look at the context. He is writing about what? The Old Testament. The Old Testament. Now, I, I, I want you all, I want you all because I, I'm trying to help you to understand why it's so important for you to put scripture within the proper context to then appreciate scripture in the proper context and then apply scripture contextually so that you can live scripture. All right. Because guess what? When he says all scripture, he's talking about Old Testament. Why? Because there is no New Testament. New Testament is not written. As a matter of fact, I don't think that Paul nor Peter nor the uh, writers of the gospel nor the writers of other books of the New Testament had any earthly idea that their writings were going to become what we call Holy Scripture. As a matter of fact, you and I right now, we are reading somebody else's mail. <laughs> we, we, we are reading somebody else's mail. It, they never in, in a thousand years thought that these letters that they would be penning would ultimately one day become scripture. So when we properly interpret scripture, what Peter is talking about here is what? Old Testament. That this verse tells us that the scripture, specifically the Old Testament prophecies, did not start with some man. It was not interpreted by the prophets themselves as they delivered the message. What happened with the false prophets is that they produce false prophecies from their own inspiration. But real prophets did not interpret the messages God gave them. They simply wrote it, recorded what God said, what the spirit moved, and let the chips fall where they may. Okay? In other words, uh, false prophets will give a prophecy and then they'll tell you what the prophecy means. Uh, and, and I think we, <laughs> we kind of saw this played out in the last election, when certain religious leaders predicted that Donald Trump would be president again, uh, false prophets or, or false prophets who tell you that if you sow a seed, that by such and such date, you're going to have, you know, the car you wanted or the house you wanted or the man or woman you want. You all, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't flow like that. Here's how it works. Particularly the Old Testament renderings were written by men and women who were moved by the Holy Spirit speaking from God. This is not something that the prophets or the writers of the law or different historical books made up. Same God who spoke to the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration is the same God 
who spoke to the prophets. God inspired those writers, and that's why their message is authentic and reliable. God used their talents. God used their education. God used their background. God cooperated with the writers in such a way to ensure that what God wanted to be communicated was communicated. Now, I'll tell you what Peter is not trying to prevent. He's not saying don't study the Bible. He is not saying uh, you can't have personal devotion. He is not saying you can't interpret the word of God. He is not saying you can't apply the word of God, but rather what Peter is saying is that the word of God is sure and authentic, that God is the author of the word of God, that the word of God is not a collection of stories and fables and myths or human ideas or philosophies about God. It is not a human book. That by the the, the person of the Holy Spirit, God revealed the very essence of God and plan to certain people who wrote down his message for those people. And it is the process of inspiration for in verse 21, for the prophecy will never came by the will of man, but by holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Came through inspiration that made scripture completely trustworthy. Why? Because God is in control of his writing. I'm mighty afraid that in today's culture, we're trying to make the Bible fit some things that it was never intended to fit. And we're trying to bend the Bible to our own particular um, uh, genre or lifestyle or cultural norms. And it just doesn't work that way. Um, that if you're going to properly interpret the word of God, um, John says, don't add one letter to it. It is through you knowing the scripture through you being familiar with the scripture that you will recognize and be able to stand firm against false teaching. False teaching. Okay. Um, It is you knowing the scripture that you will have the tools and guidance to live for God. It is through you knowing the scripture that when you know the scripture, and, and I hope I'm getting ready to bless somebody, that you will not be thrown when people quote scripture out of context and try to tickle your ear. We see this with black religious identity cults like the black Hebrew Israelites or comedic spirituality or even the nation of Islam. Um, they, They would take a portion of scripture and take it out of context. And because it sounds good, if you're not rooted in scripture, you'll fall for it. And, and unfortunately, that's how, you know, when a lot of our young people go off to college, uh, they get caught up in these cults. Why? Because they have not been taught the word of God properly. They have not been taught what it means to uh, uh, appreciate the word of God and study the word of God. Um, um, 
in other words, it takes more than Sunday school. It, it, it takes more. It, it takes more than you just read the word, because guess what? You can read the word, but if you don't have a teacher that is well-rounded and, and, and grounded, you will come up with some crazy interpretation if you don't understand how it's to be applied. That's, that's why your nurturing is very important. And that's why it's important for you to be connected to a place and to a community that tries to do its best to live out the tenets of the faith. Do we get it perfect all the time? No. All of us are living, all of us are learning, all of us are growing. As pastor, I have an earned doctoral degree. I've been to one of the best seminaries in the world and I'm still learning. I still don't know it all, nowhere near. Um, I still got a lot of learning and growing to do. So guess what? I'm learning and I'm growing just like many of you all. Okay. Uh, that, 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 that in my learning and my growing, I too come to a fresh revelation and a fresh understanding of who God is as far as the word of God is concerned. Let me drop this on you all and I'm not, then I'm done. There's only one real inevitability. And here it is. It is necessary for the word of God to come to pass. <laughs> Let me say that again. There's only one real inevitability, and that's for the word of God to come to pass. In other words, God is going to have God's way regardless of what we do. And, and, and that's why I'm sticking with the Lord. God's going to have God's way regardless of what we do. And I don't know about anybody else, but I want to be on the Lord's side. I want to be on the Lord's side. Well, that's um, our lesson as far as uh, today is concerned. I hope and pray that uh, it has been a blessing to you. But understand, you and I, we are governed. We are inspired. We are illuminated. We have revealed to us both the written word and the incarnate or revealed word of God in Jesus Christ. The written word, the Bible, the revealed word, Jesus, they both come together to help make us become who God would have for us to be. Well, I want to see if there are any questions before um, um, I have a closing prayer and, and uh, ask that if you feel led to give, that you can do that. Any questions? I didn't see any questions, Pastor. <clears throat> all right. All right. All right. So at this particular time, and I want to thank Dr. McNeil for putting in the chat about uh, giving. Um, you have an opportunity to partner with us as far as giving is concerned. And uh, this is something I don't take lightly. Um, I want to thank each and every one of you who have been a blessing as far as the work and the ministry and the mission uh, through St. Paul is concerned. And um, uh, even now you have the wonderful uh, capacity to partner with us as far as carrying forth that ministry. Uh, let me let, tell you all something that we're in the process of doing. We're in the process right now of collecting uh, items for our brothers and sisters that are in the detention center, uh, soap, underwear, and things of that sort. And 
Uh, I'll mention that on, on Sunday as well, that um, with the collaboration of our social justice ministry and our community outreach, uh, Reverend Bernie and uh, Reverend Dia, uh, we're doing some some wonderful things as far as uh, the detention center is concerned. I think I shared with you that this past Sunday, we were able to do a simulcast uh, with our incarcerated brothers and sisters at the Mecklenburg Detention Center. And interestingly, we had 1,500 new people that were able to hear the word of God being preached from the St. Paul Church. Major shout out to Reverend uh, D'Angelo Diem for bringing that uh, to bear. And um, uh, I will let you all know some of the items that they would need on Sunday. So that if you feel led to help us as far as that's concerned, um, that's our mission work, to be a blessing to our brothers and sisters. I'm going to preach and teach the word, and we are also going to be a blessing to them. And um, we're going to come together and make that a working reality. So if you feel led to give, you can give by either sending check uh, or money order to the church at 1401 Allen Street, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28205. Or you can drop off your check money order or cash at the church. Call the church office uh, before coming down to make sure someone is there to receive your offering at 704-334-5309. You can also give through our website through ACS or Church Life. Or you could use the app called Givelify. And you can give with three clicks through that app to St. Paul uh, as far as our work is concerned. I want to thank you all for joining us uh, as far as uh, this time of study is concerned. Again, I want to reiterate the written word of God and the revealed, the incarnate word of God, the written word of God, the Bible, the logos, the revealed word of God, Jesus Christ, both put together will help us to become what God will have for us to be. Let's close out in prayer. God, we come and we thank you for your word Lagos, Jesus, and your word, the scriptures. And it is through the various uh, writings of scripture, law, history, poetry, wisdom, literature, uh, prophecy, uh, that we come to a better understanding of you. The writings of uh, the gospels and the pastoral and uh, uh, epistles, they all help us to become better for you. The apocalyptic literature of John helps us to appreciate that one day we will have ultimate victory. Until then, oh God, we pray that you will continue to, by the power and presence of your spirit, help us to live for you, to love like you, and to become more like you as far as the image of your son, Jesus Christ, is concerned. Help us to live this day uh, more full uh, in such a way that when people see us, they will know that we are being transformed into the likeness of your son. Now, God, dismiss us from this time of study, never from your presence, and empower us to continue to do the work of your mission and your ministry through the St. Paul Church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you all. Uh, I pray that you all will join us on Sunday morning as far as worship is concerned, as I continue to um, twist another facet of Psalm 138. God bless you.